Hello, my friends. This is your Definitely Storytime host, Jamie. And if you're here, it's Definitely Storytime. So let's settle in and get comfortable, or whatever it is you prefer doing while you listen. And let's begin. We are reading Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. Chapter 28 My glazed eye wandered over the dim and misty landscape. I saw I had strayed far from the village. It was quite out of sight. The very cultivation surrounding it had disappeared. I had by crossways and by paths, once more drawn near the tract of moorland. And now, only a few fields, almost as wild and unproductive as the heath from which they were scarcely reclaimed, lay between me and the dusky hill. Well, I would rather die yonder than in a street or on a frequented road, I reflected and far better that crows and ravens, if any ravens there be in these regions, should pick my flesh from my bones than that they should be prisoned in a workhouse coffin and moulder in a pauper's grave. To the hill, then, I turned. I reached it. It remained now only to find a hollow where I could lie down and feel at least hidden if not secure but all the surface of the waste looked level. It showed no variation, but of tint. Green where rush and moss overgrew the marshes, black where the dry soil bore only heath. Dark as it was getting, I could still see these changes, though but as mere alterations of light and shade, for color had faded with the daylight. My eye still roved over the sullen swell, and along the moor edge, vanishing amidst the wildest scenery, when at one dim point, far in among the marshes and the ridges, a light sprang up. That is an ignis fatus, was my first thought, and I expected it would soon vanish. It burnt on, however, quite steadily, neither receding nor advancing, it is, then, a bonfire just kindled? I questioned. I watched to see whether it would spread. But no. As it did not diminish, so it did not enlarge. It may be a candle and house, I then conjectured. But if so, I can never reach it. It is much too far away. And were it within a yard of me, what would it avail? I should but knock at the door and have it shut in my face. And I sank down where I stood, and hid my face against the ground. I lay still a while. The night wind swept over the hill and over me, and died moaning in the distance. The rain fell, wetting me afresh to the skin. Could I but have stiffened to the still frost, the friendly numbness of death, it might have pelted on. 
I should not have felt it. But my yet living flesh shuddered at its chilling influence. I rose ere long. The light was yet there, shining dim but constant through the rain. I tried to walk again. I dragged my exhausted limbs slowly towards it. It led me aslant over the hill through a wide bog, which would have been impassable in winter and was splashy and shaking even now in the height of summer. Here I fell twice. But as often I rose and rallied my faculties. This light was my forlorn hope. I must gain it. Having crossed the marsh, I saw a trace of white over the moor. I approached it. It was a road or a track. It led straight up to the light, which now beamed from a sort of knoll amidst a clump of trees, firs apparently from what I could distinguish of the character of their forms and foliage through the gloom. My star vanished as I drew near. Some obstacle had intervened between me and it. I put out my hand to feel the dark mass before me. I discriminated the rough stones of a low wall. Above it, something like palisades, and within, a high and prickly hedge. I groped on. Again, a whitish object gleamed before me. It was a gate, a wicket. It moved on its hinges as I touched it. On each side stood a sable bush, holly or yew. Entering the gate and passing the shrubs, the silhouette of a house rose to view, black, low, and rather long, but the guiding light shone nowhere. All was obscurity. Were the inmates retired to rest? I feared it must be so. In seeking the door, I turned an angle. There shot out the friendly gleam again, from the lozenged panes of a very small latticed window, within a foot of the ground, made still smaller by the growth of ivy or some other creeping plant whose leaves clustered thick over the portion of the house wall in which it was set. The aperture was so screened and narrow that curtain or shutter had been deemed unnecessary, and when I stooped down and put aside the spray of foliage shooting over it, I could see all within. I could see clearly a room with a sanded floor, clean scoured, a dresser of walnut with pewter plates ranged in rows, reflecting the redness and radiance of a glowing peat fire. I could see a clock, a white deal table, some chairs. The candle whose rays had been my beacon burnt on the table, and by its light an elderly woman, somewhat rough-looking but scrupulously clean, like all about her, was knitting a stocking. I noticed these objects cursorily only. In them there was nothing extraordinary. A group of more interest appeared near the hearth, sitting still amidst the rosy peace and warmth suffusing it. Two young graceful women, ladies in every point, sat, one in a low rocking chair, the other on a lower stool. Both wore deep mourning of crepe and bombazine which somber garb singularly set off very fair necks and faces. A large old pointer dog rested its massive head on the knee of one girl. In the lap of the other was cushioned a black cat. 
A strange place was this humble kitchen for such occupants. Who were they? They could not be the daughters of the elderly person at the table, for she looked like a rustic, and they were all delicacy and cultivation. I had nowhere seen such faces as theirs. And yet, as I gazed on them, I seemed intimate with every lineament. I cannot call them handsome, they were too pale and grave for the word. As they each bent over a book, they looked thoughtful almost to severity. A stand between them supported a second candle and two great volumes to which they frequently referred, comparing them, seemingly, with the smaller books they held in their hands, like people consulting a dictionary to aid them in the task of translation. This scene was as silent, as if all the figures had been shadows, and the fire-lit apartment a picture. So hushed was it, I could hear the cinders fall from the grate, the clock tick in its obscure corner, and I even fancied I could distinguish the click-click of the woman's knitting needles. When, therefore, a voice broke the strange stillness at last, it was audible enough to me. Listen, Diana, said one of the absorbed students. Franz and old Daniel are together in the night-time, and Franz is telling a dream from which he has awakened in terror. Listen! And in a low voice she read something of which not one word was intelligible to me, for it was in an unknown tongue, neither French nor Latin. Whether it were Greek or German, I could not tell. That is strong, she said when she had finished. I relish it. The other girl, who had lifted her head to listen to her sister, repeated, while she gazed at the fire, a line of what had been read. At a later day I knew the language and the book. Therefore, I will here quote the line, though when I first heard it, it was only like a stroke on sounding brass to me, conveying no meaning. Good, good, she exclaimed while her dark and deep eye sparkled. There you have a dim and mighty archangel fitly set before you. The line is worth a hundred pages of Faustian. Ich wege die Gedanken an der Schale meines Sohnes und die Wirke mit dem Gewichte meines Grimms. I like it. Both were again silent. Is there any country where they talk it that way? Asked the old woman, looking up from her knitting. Yes, Hannah, a far larger country than England, where they talk in no other way. Well, for sure case... I not how they can understand to one to other, and if either of you went there, you could tell what they said, I guess. We could probably tell something of what they said, but not all, for we are not as clever as you think us, Hannah. We don't speak German, and we cannot read it without a dictionary to help us. And what good does it do you? We mean to teach it sometime, or at least the elements, as they say, and then we should get more money than we do now. Very like, but give our study in. You've done enough for tonight. I think we have. At least I'm tired. Mary, are you? Mortally. After all, it's tough work fagging away at a language with no master but a lexicon. It is, especially such a language as this, crabbed but glorious Deutsch. I wonder when St. John will come home. 
Surely it will not be long now. It is just ten, looking at a little gold watch she drew from her girdle. It rains fast. Hannah, will you have the goodness to look at the fire in the parlor? The woman rose. She opened a door through which I dimly saw a passage. Soon I heard her stir a fire in an inner room. She presently came back. Ah, childer, said she. It fair troubles me to go in yond room now. It looks so lonesome with the chair empty and set back in a corner. She wiped her eyes with her apron. The two girls grave before looked sad now. But he's in a better place, continued Hannah. We shouldn't wish him here again, and then nobody need to have a quieter death, nor he had. You say he never mentioned us, inquired one of the ladies. He hadn't time, Bairn. He was gone in a minute, was your father. He had been a bit ailing, like, the day before, but not to signify, and then Mistress Injun asked if he would like either a yet to be present, for he fair laughed at him. He began again with a bit of a heaviness in his head the next day, that's a fortnight sin. Then he went to sleep and never wakened. He wore it most stark when your brother went into to chamber and fanned him. Oh, childer, that's to last at old stock, for ye and Mr. St. John is like of different sort to them that's gone. For all your mother wore Mitch in your way, and a most as book learned. She wore the picture, are ye, Mary? Diana is like your father. I thought them so similar I could not tell where the old servant, or such I now concluded her to be, saw the difference. Both were fair-complexioned and slenderly made. Both possessed faces full of distinction and intelligence. One, to be sure, had hair a shade darker than the other, and there was a difference in their style of wearing it. Mary's pale brown locks were parted and braided smooth. Diana's duskier tresses covered her neck with thick curls. The clock struck ten. "'You'll want your supper, I am sure,' observed Hannah, "'and so will Mr. St. John when he comes in.' And she proceeded to prepare the meal. The ladies rose. They seemed about to withdraw to the parlor. Till this moment I had been so intent on watching them, their appearance and conversation had excited in me so keen an interest, I had half forgotten my own wretched position. Now it recurred to me. More desolate, more desperate than ever, it seemed from contrast. And how impossible did it appear to touch the inmates of this house with concern on my behalf? To make them believe in the truth of my wants and woes, to induce them to vouchsafe a rest for my wanderings, as I groped out the door and knocked at it hesitatingly, I felt that last idea to be a mere chimera. Hannah opened. What do you want? She inquired in a voice of surprise as she surveyed me by the light of the candle she held. May I speak to your mistresses? I said. You had better tell me what you have to say to them. Where do you come from? I am a stranger. What is your business here at this hour? 
I want a night's shelter, in an outhouse or anywhere, and a morsel of bread to eat. Distrust, the very feeling I dreaded, appeared in Hannah's face. I'll give you a piece of bread, she said after a pause, but we can't take an Avegra to lodge. It isn't likely. Do let me speak to your mistresses. No, not I. What can they do for you? You should not be roving about now. It looks very ill. But where shall I go if you drive me away? What shall I do? Oh, I'll warrant you know where to go and what to do. Mind you, don't do wrong, that's all. Here's a penny, now go. A penny cannot feed me, and I have no strength to go farther. Don't shut the door. Oh, don't, for God's sake! I must. The rain is driving in. Tell the young ladies. Let me see them. Indeed, I will not. You are not what you ought to be, or you wouldn't make such a noise. Move off. But I must die if I am turned away. Not you. I am feared you have some ill plans agate that brings you about folks' houses at this time of night. If you've any followers, housebreakers, or such like anywhere near, you may tell them we are not by ourselves in the house. We have a gentleman and dogs and guns. Here the honest but inflexible servant clapped the door to and bolted it within. This was the climax, a pang of exquisite suffering, a throw of true despair, rent and heaved my heart. Worn out, indeed, I was. Not another step could I stir. I sank on the wet doorstep. I groaned. I wrung my hands. I wept in utter anguish. Oh, the specter of death. Oh, this last hour approaching in such horror. Alas, this isolation, this banishment from my kind. Not only the anchor of hope, but the footing of fortitude was gone, at least for a moment, but the last I soon endeavored to regain. I can but die, I said, and I believe in God. Let me try to wait his will in silence. These words I not only thought but uttered, and thrusting back all my misery into my heart, I made an effort to compel it to remain there, dumb and still. All men must die, said a voice quite close at hand. But all are not condemned to meet a lingering and premature doom such as yours would be if you perished here of want. Who or what speaks? I asked, terrified at the unexpected sound and incapable now of deriving from any occurrence of hope of aid. A form was near. What form? The pitch-dark night and my enfeebled vision prevented me from distinguishing. With a loud, long knock, the newcomer appealed to the door. "'Is that you, Mr. Sinjin?' cried Hannah. "'Yes. Yes, open quickly.' "'Well, how cold and wet you must be, such a wild night it is. Come in. Your sisters are quite uneasy about you, and I believe there are bad folks about. There has been a beggar woman. I declare she is not gone yet. Lay down there. Get up for shame. Move off, I say.' 
Hush, Hannah. I have a word to say to the woman. You have done your duty in excluding. Now let me do mine in admitting her. I was near and listened to both you and her. I think this is a peculiar case. I must at least examine into it. Young woman, rise and pass before me into the house. With difficulty, I obeyed him. Presently, I stood within that clean, bright kitchen, on the very hearth, trembling, sickening, conscious of an aspect in the last degree ghastly, wild, and weather-beaten. The two ladies, their brother, Mr. St. John, the old servant, were all gazing at me. St. John, who is it? I heard one ask. I cannot tell. I found her at the door, was the reply. She does look white, said Hannah. As white as clay or death, was responded. She will fall. Let her sit. And indeed my head swam. I dropped. But a chair received me. I still possessed my senses, though just now I could not speak. Perhaps a little water would restore her. Hannah, fetch some. But she has worn to nothing. How very thin, and how very bloodless. A mere spectre. Is she ill or only famished? Famished, I think. Hannah, is that milk? Give it me, and a piece of bread. Diana, I knew her by the long curls which I saw drooping between me and the fire as she bent over me, broke some bread, dipped it in milk, and put it to my lips. Her face was near mine. I saw there was a pity in it, and I felt sympathy in her hurried breathing. In her simple words, too, the same balm-like emotion spoke. Try to eat. Yes, try, repeated Mary gently, and Mary's hand removed my sodden bonnet and lifted my head. I tasted what they offered me, feebly at first, eagerly soon. Not too much at first. Restrain her, said the brother. She has had enough, and he withdrew the cup of milk and the plate of bread. A little more, St. John. Look at the avidity in her eyes. No more at present, sister. Try if she can speak now. Ask her her name. I felt I could speak, and I answered. My name is Jane Elliot. Anxious as ever to avoid discovery, I had before resolved to assume an alias. And where do you live? Where are your friends? I was silent. Can we send for anyone you know? I shook my head. What account can you give of yourself? Somehow, now that I had once crossed the threshold of this house and once was brought face to face with its owners, I felt no longer outcast, vagrant, and disowned by the wide world. I dared to put off the mendicant, to resume my natural manner and character. I began once more to know myself, and when Mr. St. John demanded an account, which at present I was far too weak to render, I said after a brief pause, Sir, I can give you no details tonight. But what then, said he, do you expect me to do for you? Nothing, I replied, 
My strength sufficed but for short answers. Diana took the word. Do you mean, she asked, that we have now given you what aid you require, and that we may dismiss you to the moor and the rainy night? I looked at her. She had, I thought, a remarkable countenance, instinct both with power and goodness. I took sudden courage. Answering her compassionate gaze with a smile, I said, I will trust you. If I were a masterless and stray dog, I know that you would not turn me from your hearth tonight. As it is, I really have no fear. Do with me and for me as you like. But excuse me for much discourse. My breath is short. I feel a spasm when I speak. All three surveyed me, and all three were silent. Hannah, said Mr. St. John at last. Let her sit here at present and ask her no questions. In ten minutes more, give her the remainder of that milk and bread. Mary and Diana, let us go into the parlor and talk the matter over. They withdrew. Very soon one of the ladies returned. I could not tell which. A kind of pleasant stupor was stealing over me as I sat by the genial fire. In an undertone, she gave some directions to Hannah. Ere long, with the servant's aid, I contrived to mount a staircase. My dripping clothes were removed. Soon a warm, dry bed received me. I thanked God, experienced amidst unutterable exhaustion a glow of grateful joy, and slept. To be continued. Are you a person who does laundry? Because I am a person who does laundry, and as such, I have teamed up with Salty Llama to help make laundry a little bit easier, better for the planet, and more affordable. So if you want to ditch the jug and the mess and the waste, head over to saltylama.com and use my affiliate code, definitely storytime, no spaces, to get 10% off your order. There's a link in the episode description. And that has been our episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I hope you'll consider telling your friends and family and if you have the means, providing listener support. I also have a Patreon, and I have merchandise available on Teespring. Links are on the homepage. I thank you for choosing Definitely Storytime. <laughs>